The sounds from the Sunday market spill out from the blocks around. The chaotic din of commerce might even be comforting after spending three weeks in the mountains to the east. You and your comrades push your way through the sea of people in search of an exotic smith to sell some of your newly acquired wares, and as you turn a corner, you are suddenly pushed, and it knocks you off balance. Being the nimble adventurer you are, you quickly gain your footing, set your feet, and lay your hand on the hilt of your sword, only to realize you're staring down the avian face of a chimera. The creature's eagle-like features seem almost jovial, and its horse body prances in place as the massive eagle wings flex, straining the restraints holding them down. He likes you, comes the voice of an elderly man from behind the hippogriff. Normally you need to be imprinted on them when they're young. Very loyal creatures. <coughs> Since he likes you so much, how about a thousand gold pieces and Dylan here can be your newest companion. The offer is intriguing enough, but your pouch doesn't even hold a tenth of that currently, and, and you don't have the hopes of being able to sell your newest pieces for anywhere near that. You tell the rancher so, and he rubs his chin, looking pensive. I see, I see. Well, because Dylan here likes you so much, I could offer you one of his young for... a hundred gold pieces? And family discount and all that. Your eyes widen and excitement roils within you and you hurry off to sell the rest of your gear. Quickly enough, you return with a gleeful smile and proffer him the hundred gold pieces, which is almost your entire purse, and he shrewdly counts them piece by piece in front of you. I've been slighted before, son. Don't mind me. After a second count, he slides the coins into his purse, tucked behind a long, curved dagger on his belt that you don't remember being there the first time. He then retreats into the hippogriff pen. After only a few seconds, he returns delicately carrying a massive brown egg with shimmering gold spots on it. Here you are, son. Dylan's latest. Give it one to two months and you'll have your very own. Just make absolutely certain that you are the first thing this new hippogriff sees. That's when your companion catches up to you and sees you holding the great brown egg with gilded spots. Well, have you painted golden spots on an umber hawk egg? merchant's hands slip to the hilt of his dagger as he turns to you, but you've already got your sword drawn. You will not let this rancher play you the fool. Roll for initiative. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This, a podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons and & Dragons and the lore that surrounds them. And welcome to another episode of Encounter This. I am, of course, your co-host Freeman Furioso Eisten, and with me is the ever-loving and always known as James Silverstream Kid. And he's going to be taking us through the wonderful Hippogriff on page 184 of the Monster Manual. Silverstream, eh? I like to think that if you had hair on your head... You would be a salt and pepper handsome prince. <laughs> and we could call you Silverstream. <laughs> Anything is possible. <laughs> except except for hair on your head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it took 30 years for my beard to go gray, so who knows? There you go. <laughs> Tell me about this, this creature that I feel like I should know more about. Uh, 
because I've heard the name, I don't I feel like a thousand million times in my life. Yeah, you probably have. They're fairly pervasive, but not in like a large way. So in D&D, they are magical beasts whose origins are lost to history. How convenient. (laughs) Indeed. But they are present in all five editions. Okay. Yeah. I mean, these are pretty classic creatures, I think. So that makes sense. You would think so, yeah. yeah. And most people do, but I think we're going to end up in, in some variety of a Mandela effect here. Okay. So they are chimeric magical beasts related to griffins. To reiterate, a chimera is a single being made up of DNA from two or more individuals. Mm-hmm. So it is a uh, has the wings and talons of an eagle, and in earlier editions this could also be a hawk, with a wingspan of about 6.1 meters or 20 feet. And the body and hind legs of a horse running about nine feet long or 2.74 meters. And the face is a combination of both. Fairly accurately represented in the 1E art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the 2E and 3E art uh, are, well, the 2E art is very much more eagle-headed. The 3E art is just a mess. Just an absolute mess. <laughs> Uh, but the five E art is is pretty nice, but it's also still just very much a bird head. There's not a whole lot of horse in there yes, other than the neck. Yeah, I was gonna say. So it's bird bird up front, horse and back is what we're looking at uh, for the current. That's it. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. That's the whole thing. That's that's all they are. You said they're related to the griffin. The griffin is what combination? Or is it? It's not a combination. Is it a chimera itself? Or is it just a four-legged yes. eagle? <laughs> the griffin is also a chimera. Okay. Uh, it is the body of a lion. Lion. Okay, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So somehow the lion does not pass on to its relationship to the hippogriff. <laughs> Please tell more. <laughs> okay. Uh, they weigh approximately 450 kilos or 1,000 pounds, which is about the size of one adult moose for us Canadians. And for everybody else in the world, that is about two Andre the Giants. <laughs> you know, that's a, that, that's a metric measurement, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> wow, he was a big boy. Oh, man. Yeah. Whew. And their hides come in all variety of browns with different shades of feathers ranging from uh, white to golden. And their beaks lean towards either ivory or golden as well. In earlier editions, they were very closely related to griffins and pegasi. Okay. They uh, mate for life and they seldom venture more than a few miles from their nests. They give birth to live young, which is contradicted in earlier editions that states they uh, birth from eggs. Okay. They breed in the spring and nest specifically in tropical hills so they can take off quickly. There's not a whole lot of uh, uh, tree ob- mm. obscu- obfuscation there. Yes. Okay. And once they've identified their territory and nests, they will fiercely defend it and their young. Very bestial. I like it. Very, yeah. And to lean into that, when raised in captivity, they make excellent mounts and companions because they're not as smart as griffins oh okay because i i definitely had an image in my head already of them being you know a trained mount um albeit somewhat rare but uh that's pretty cool 
Yeah, so of all the flying mounts, they're actually the easiest to train and the most loyal. Okay, cool. And they are rare because the best way to train one is to steal an egg, raise it from birth, and then form that bond. Aha. Uh-huh. Or perhaps, um, in depending on how you interpret it, steal the foal. <laughs> possible. <laughs> As opposed yep. to the egg, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and an egg can go for between one and two uh, thousand GP on the open market uh, in previous editions. Right. Because in five E, if you're buying a hippogriff egg, you done fucked up. Uh, okay. <laughs> Why is that? Because they give birth to live young in five. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I already made mention of it and I already forgot. Um, yeah, <laughs> someone has scammed you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's it for hippogriff lore. We have oh, right. a couple of fun facts here, but that's that's it. They yeah. are dumb beasts. Uh, dragons, griffins, and wyverns enjoy hippogriff meat specifically. Okay. And hippogriffs are capable of expressing very complex emotions, including feeling grief, and they're one of the few beasts that can cry. Oh, these are like these are the these are the bird horse dogs of the world. <laughs> That's adorable. Pretty much. <laughs> well, I want a pet hippogriff. I'm sure we can arrange that. <laughs> uh, right, which brings us immediately and very quickly under 10 minutes to cultural lore. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I didn't expect a lot of um, of uh, of lore, I guess. But, um, yeah. I, I was hoping for more maybe info on the relation to Griffins. Um but uh, not yeah. in D and D. Okay. Oh. Uh we get a little bit of that from the cultural lore. Oh, okay. All right. Which hopefully is easily applied to D and D. So let's let's do that. It should be, yeah. Okay. Other than the fact that Griffins specifically enjoy their meat, it gets a little weird at that point, but mm-hmm. uh Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, there, you know, there is plenty more in the Forgotten Realms if you really want to dig into it. But it's it's a lot of fluff. Yeah. Um, not really related to the Hippogriff, but mm-hmm. how the Hippogriff is important to D&D cultures that are not really represented in 5e. Okay, fair enough. But in our lore, they are also spelt Hippogriff, uh, G-R-Y-P-H. Okay. Hippo meaning horse and Greek and grifo meaning griffin in Italian. So their name is literally horse griffin. Okay. <laughs> and this is uh, one of the only creatures that I can think of that we've covered where we have a definitive origin story for. Oh. So the hippogriff is not as old of a creature as you might think. Okay. Yes, it sounds like something coming out of like Greek mythology or something. Yeah, but it, it absolutely does not. It is rooted in things like Greek mythology, as we'll touch on. Mm-hmm. But it, it actually comes from uh, 1516, and it's created by Ludovico Ariosto in his Italian epic Orlando Furioso, uh, also known as Frenzy of Orlando. Okay. <laughs> and this is an unofficial sequel or fan fiction to Orlando Inamorato, otherwise known as Orlando in Love by Matteo Maria Bioarado. <laughs> I didn't know you were so fluent in the the tongues of romance. <laughs> oh, God, I'm sorry for many to anybody from that part of the world. <laughs> Amazing. 
But this book describes the adventures of Orlando, Charlemagne, and the Franks, also known as the French, as they battle the Saracen, which is an archaic term used by Christians specifically to refer to Muslims. Oh, okay. Oh, Saracen. Yeah, that rings a bell. Okay. Yeah. And Orlando is essentially a paladin that fights to repel the Saracen invasion with his best boy, Charlemagne, Emperor of Rome. Hmm. So in the in the story, the hippogriff is born from a mare and a griffin, and is considered impossible in the context of the story. Okay, <laughs> so it's in the story, but considered impossible in the story. Yeah, it okay. is not possible, but happens. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is extremely fast, and one character literally rides that fucker to the moon. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and we will have a copy of Orlando Furioso and Orlando Inema Mortoro in in a Mora. Yeah, not so much. The I second know time. the root words. But I can't handle it. Not so much the second time. That's <laughs> fine. In a Inamorato. Inamorato. That's the one. Oh, oh my it. god. Uh, we will have both those linked in the show notes. They're on uh, they're, they're public domain by now. Sweet. Uh, but this poem, Orlando Furioso, uh, is extremely prevalent through history. Three operas written by Vivaldi, uh, oh. The Castle of Iron by El Sprague du Camp, and Fletcher Pratt is a, is a novel that has uh, uh, ramifications. Uh, Gustave Dore did many, many illustrations of it. Uh, very famous for his illustrations of the Bible, Don Quixote, Lord Byron, and Paradise Lost. Um, he also uh, illustrates my favorite translation of the Divine Comedy. Okay. Uh, I went down a whole Dore rabbit <laughs> hole, which we'll have links to all that stuff in, uh, in the show notes. Uh, in 1966, Disney produced a comic strip parodying uh, Orlando starring Donald Duck. Okay. Uh, there is a translation by Sir John Harrington, who you might know as having invented the flushing toilet. <laughs> I definitely, definitely knew that. <laughs> yeah. So he was banished by Queen Elizabeth I for how sexy his translation of Orlando Furioso got. <laughs> to the point that she sent him away and only allowed him to come back when she could read the whole translation in 1591. <laughs> I love how all of this has nothing to do with the hippogriff. Nope. <laughs> it's just, There's not a lot of that. <laughs> the hippogriff happened to be in the story. There's all this ridiculousness yeah. around it. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, so there are other people who have claimed to have in experienced the hippogriff. So Vidal, a Spanish historian, said the creature was to live in modern-day Catalan. Uh, it, they found claw marks on a rock near Mas Carol, which is in Spain, and proved and pointed out that those claw marks were proof that a hippogriff once existed in in this area. <laughs> this was later attacked with a scientific essay on religion in 1862, which argues that such a creature cannot be divine creation and therefore cannot exist. Um, I use the word scientific essay in the most sarcastic quotes because that was the title of the essay, which we will also have linked in the show notes. Oh my God, that's amazing. Scientific essay claiming it can't exist because it's not divine creation. Yeah. 
specifically because the book of Enoch details how Satan created hybrids, not God. <laughs> okay. Okay. Gotcha. I would say right now that uh, our next episode after this one, I have a very similar thing where someone has claimed something so hubrisly. <laughs> oh, God, that's just, funny. Just pure insanity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Clawmax were here, uh, so it, it must have been these things. <laughs> it's pretty much right in that in that wheelhouse. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and in some cultures, it's seen as a symbol of love. Because uh, its parents, the griffin and the mare, both real creatures that totally exist, are natural enemies. <laughs> and the hippogriff is viewed as a symbol of love conquering nature. Oh, no. I want that to be sweet. But it's it's awful. <laughs> yeah. You just force natural enemies to mate. And that's supposed to be love conquering nature. That's not how that works. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Also, the griffin's not real, as we'll touch on <laughs> in our there's... upcoming griffin. <laughs> also, there's that. Oh, God. Yeah. So funny. here's an illustration by Dore called Ruggero on the Hippogriff. Uh, it is not, noticeably, not Orlando riding the Hippogriff, because Orlando uh, was in kind of the shit at this point. Okay. Uh, but it's a really beautiful illustration, as are all of Dore's stuff. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful piece of work, yeah. They do appear a little bit in pop culture, not as much as you might think, but there's one reason they have been incredibly prevalent as of, you know, the last 30 years or so, and that is uh, in Warhammer Fantasy, mm -hmm. some of the Knights of Bretonia ride the Hippogriff. Oh, yeah. Cool. That's a really cool mini. I love the, um, I love when, like, uh, settings like Warhammer have, like, these factions that that really just lay on thick the the banner flag waving in the back and the the banner the the symbol is also on the shield and then it's also on the barding of the mount and it's just like these are our colors and our symbol and we're not backing down i'm even gonna mold my helmet the same shape like it's just like they're so yeah. attached to this symbol and so loyal to the the idea it's it's just so stark, and I kind of, I kind of love that. I hope they lose. <laughs> hope that faction loses, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, so they actually don't exist anymore. The Knights oh, of Bretonia, no? uh, they they don't make those models anymore. They're they're highly prized in. Um, so that game Warhammer Fantasy doesn't exist anymore. It's been revamped into Warhammer Age of Sigmar. Oh, okay. Which is substantially darker than Warhammer Fantasy. Is it is it like a totally re, a redo from the ground up, or is it like Age of Sigmar is like the next step? No, the whole structure of the game was rebuilt, and a bunch of factions were rebuilt. Oh, okay. Um, and we lost a whole bunch of them. So there was like this mummy skeleton faction called the Tomb Kings that we lost as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not a it's not the next step in the canon. It is a brand new canon built on it's, the old. Yeah, well. Yes and no. There's an apocalyptic event involving right. a deity named Sigmar, as far as I know. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, it it is um it is a soft reboot like DC's New Fifty Two. Mm -hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Next on the pop culture stop is Silverstream, a hippogriff featured heavily in the My Little Pony movie, <laughs> but also makes appearances oh in. Uh, the TV show, as far as I know. Are you a, are you a brony? I've never asked you this. No. <laughs> okay. Good. This is the most I know about My Little Pony <laughs> is, is this. And there was an episode of, um, oh, I don't remember what it's called, but it was this uh, old YouTube. It's probably still going. This theoretical YouTube channel where they made creatures from 
different universes fight. Okay. Uh, there was like a Goku versus Superman one. It was oh, it's, it was really yeah. popular oh, for yeah, a yeah, long yeah. time. You know, I recall this. Yeah. But they did a Starscream versus a My Little Pony, and the My Little Pony one beat beat out Starscream. So I think it was Rainbow Dash versus Starscream. Clearly, a Brony wrote that episode. <laughs> I mean, they they do some pretty solid research. I'm, I'm yeah, sure it's, they do. it's pretty good. <laughs> I'll 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 try and find it link in the show notes. But that's that's the most I know about My Little Pony. Um and whatever I may have glanced gained casually as knowledge from the uh the parody of it in Bob's Burgers. Oh, I was just now thinking where do I know there was a, an episode based around that and that yeah, it was Bob's Burgers. Yeah, that's right. They like become a, she yeah, it's a, all obsession with the with the action figure or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where Bob gets the mustache, ta- the nose and mustache tattoo on his lower back. That's right. <laughs> oh God, that show's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if you're slightly outside of the cultural zeitgeist, uh, there is a hippogriff in Harry Potter. Uh, yes. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Potter. <laughs> called Buckbeak, yes. and here is a photo of that. Yes. And this is uh, it's it's amazing because this is what passed for CGI in 2004. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I look at it and I think that's impressive for 2004. Um, that's literally the best photo I could find. There are a lot worse ones. Yeah, like oh, yeah. If you go back and rewatch that film at all, it's like, ooh, this does not hold up. This does not hold up. Uh, yeah, the CG was just oh, it was used too much early on. Regardless, Buckbeak is uh, not like not what you would call an important character, but or creature in that in that universe. I know you're not familiar with Harry Potter so much, but. Um, but, uh, I've read the first f- five books okay. and seen a movie or two. Yeah, but like you know, it's a very he's a, it's a very important creature for um, Hagrid's sort of character and and arc, uh, and and the and the 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 book and film that uh, Buckbeak is most featured in uh, is probably one of my favorite ones with the Time Turner, um, and it's just it's a really clever bit of storytelling that's really really fun that that deals with like time travel but in like a really controlled sense it's really really kind of fun uh so the uh the differences are there is no relation to pegasi in the real world lore there that is only coming from past editions of D, and it is kind of a throwaway paragraph from second edition <laughs> they have no natural enemies in real life uh, or in our real life lore, because there was only the one of them, and uh, that motherfucker could fly to the moon. So oh, that is who, so who could fight that? <laughs> the thing that's really the only time it shows up is in that one story. <laughs> but it's oh man, it's, it's not the only time. That's just okay. the first time. Oh okay. <laughs> yeah, it it definitely shows up in other places. That's right. I just wanted to focus on that because how often do we get to pinpoint the, the right. origin yeah, the, of a the creature? first time it showed up? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, but the body is the same and creation is basically the same it's not specifically listed in D that they are um the product of a griffin and a horse but okay. it's also not contested right uh and they are used as mounts in both like that's the entire purpose of it in uh, orlando furioso is to be the uh, ruggeros mount mm-hmm. seems seems mounty to me um it's certainly a Part of uh, it's the very brief uh, Harry Potter arc as well is you know a, a sort of testy beast that needs to trust you and, and is mounted uh, is sort of like what they use it for. But um, 
all lines up for me, I guess. Yeah, and in uh, in that that photo of the mini, we'll have um, of the Bretonian is also riding it. But that uh, that brings us to the darkest part of this mostly upbeat show on eagle horses, and that is the mail that I'm about to drink. <laughs> That is Strange Fellows Blackmail Stout for those of you keeping track at home. You know, unofficial sponsor of the Encounter This podcast and possibly actual sponsor, maybe one day down the road. Uh, Get at us. We haven't said that in a while, but maybe, <laughs> maybe one day. Maybe, yeah. maybe I should uh, just get a job there. We legitimately try. Yeah. <laughs> I should just get a job there and force them to be our sponsor. <laughs> it, it would be pretty cost effective. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say. <laughs> Given we don't make any money, <laughs> well, we make some. We're sustainable. We, we make we we're sustained I mean, we're by our uh, what few generous listeners uh, we uh, what few listeners have, yes. have have been able to be generous to us. I should say, and it would cost them like sixteen dollars a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, let's uh, let's dig into how damn hippogriffs work. Uh, fan favorite section of the show. How how dem work? How de- welcome to the welcome to the segment. How dem work? <laughs> T- <laughs> First up, take a guess at what CR it is. <laughs> I bet it's real low. Yeah, it is. It is real low. It is a CR one, yep. AC eleven, HP nineteen. So this is um, th- this creature isn't designed for anything other than to be a mount. Uh, yeah, I was thinking exactly that. <laughs> it's large in size because horse, and um, and it's CR one because it needs to survive at least to start. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, unaligned with a forty feet move and a sixty foot fly. Mm-hmm. No other special rules to speak of. No languages. A single ability, because they are eagle hawks, they have keen sight, which grants them advantage on perception checks involving sight. Mm-hmm. And we have a rarity for a CR1. They have multi-attack. Oh. They're able to strike with one claw and one beak attack per round. They're both plus five to hit and a five-foot range. The claw doing 2d6 plus three slashing, probably reflecting each of its front claws, or talons is probably a more accurate way to say that word. Mm -hmm. And its beak doing 1d10 plus three piercing. Right. That is hippogriffs. (laughs) That is it. That is literally it. God, a good thing I cracked him. A whole beer for that. <laughs> yeah, right? Wow. Is this going to be our shortest episode yet? <laughs> it might be. Holy I mean, shit. so there there is a lot of room to improve upon the Hippogriff, mm-hmm. whether it be using um, Pathfinder leveling mat- mount rules, which we'll also link in the show notes. Um, but one of the things I've found, and I'm sure you can agree in 5e, that, that rules on mounted combat are are lacking. They, oh. they definitely leave something up to the imagination, if not literally everything up to the imagination. I mean, yeah, you know I know this because to date, my favorite D&D character I've ever played is a cavalier named Captain Kickshaw. And yeah. when we were first starting out with that character and that story arc, I we, we struggled to meet halfway on what should and should not be possible. And there was just there was nothing to support it. 
and uh, you know, I remember talking to you about you know mounted barding and how does how does this creature able to survive? Because I sort of rely on it, and it's it's too vulnerable. And and you, you talked about bardings, whether or not I would be hooked into them, and could I just freely move off of it? And there was just there was nothing, there was absolutely nothing for us to use in the five E rules. Yeah, which is really annoying. So I have good news for you. Okay. In oh, the show notes, yes. we'll also be including a resource from Arch RPG Bot, a favorite website of ours, mm. that breaks down a segment of the podcast Dragon Talk on the Mounted Rules. We'll also link that podcast Dragon Talk, which is Dungeons and Dragons official uh, podcast. Okay. Oh, sweet. So they have this oh, cool. hour-long section where they specifically go over mounted combat and how I you were wrong and I was right, and that your mount does not level up. Really. It's the same in Pathfinder. Your mount does not level up. Yeah, I mean, I, that that makes sense to me because you made up level up rules for it. So, so yes. I think you like you homebrewed it. So uh, I, I'm not. I guess I'm not that surprised that I was wrong and you were right. But but I was like, what happens when we're level ten and and my 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 beloved dog <laughs> mount is is level fucking half? Like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Like how am I supposed to function? And and that leads perfectly into the next homebrew idea is coming up with ideas on how to level up mounts because it really isn't fair that at tenth level you're riding a creature with AC eleven and nineteen. Right? Yeah, it really isn't fair. Um, yeah, I I, I, feel, I feel like I do remember if if we didn't, uh, it's something I, I I must have thought of in retrospect. But like the, the way, um, say a homunculus or the steel defender for an artificer um, increases its its abilities as you level up, um, was a good uh, was or is a, a decent sort of um, baseline for for increasing the skills and power of of a, a companion. Now, in, in those cases, they are of course magical. And we're talking about something that's non-magical. But there's, you know, ever the apologist, I feel like there's always a way to justify, you know, the increased skill of uh, or, or um, uh, synergy between mount and, and uh, mount and mounted companion um, to justify increases in, say, you know, a dexterity save or proficiency or some such. And, you know, acquiring better... Um, uh, bardings and armor, something that's like uh, things that are more advanced. Let's say, you know, we do just, you start with regular stirrups, but then you upgrade to something that actually locks you into the seat, which gives you a disadvantage on, you know, when it comes to dismounting. But then maybe you get into something that, you know, that's un, that's not unlike, uh, you know, clipping into the, the clip pedals in your bicycle, where it's just a twist of the heel. All right, but you have to work your way towards it all, right? There's so many options that would be fun to explore, and it's just not there. No, it really isn't. I looked uh, through my old notes to try and find what we had agreed upon, and I couldn't find it exactly. Yeah. Don't think I would have it either. Oh, wait, here it is. Okay. So what we agreed upon is that a character can train with his mount to increase the HD Mm. in order to become more survivable. Right. Every four additional HD, the mount can increase two attributes, not intelligence, by one, or one attribute by two. So same as a as a level. So at each each level, it it gets another hit die essentially. Right, and it was like every two levels I got, or every four levels I got, or something like that, it could increase these. 
Yep, exactly. And when the rider makes a melee attack after the mount has moved 20 feet in a line, the attack's damage is increased by the strength, the mount strength modifier, minimum mm. plus one. And a character can train a mount to grant it bonus hit die equal to the PC level divided by two. Requires a week of training per number of bonus hit dies acquired. So if you went several levels without training, you know, if, if you leveled up to six and, and Bobble was still level four, you could spend two weeks to bring it up to level six. Mm-hmm. Uh, this costs 25 gold pieces per week. That was that was my dog's name, by the way, uh, listeners. Bobble. <laughs> Captain Kickshaw and his Bobble. Hey, friends. <laughs> oh, I love that guy. I would never do this again. This is overly complicated to a yeah. degree that I have yeah. no interest in. <laughs> Yeah, but at the time it was a solid. It was, um, yeah, yeah, a solid compromise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember having a, the the uh, conversation uh, about um, whether or not whilst mounted, do we roll separate, uh, say like dexterity saves against fireball, you know? Yeah, and in Pathfinder you would, but in Five E I don't. I would rather you just use your mounts. Right, dexterity yeah. save. and I, I, I remember making the argument. Well, like we, if we're working in tandem, you know, whoever, um, whoever sort of caught it first, like you know, we would we would be used to you know giving each other you know fi- uh, uh, sort of physical signs or, or motions or what have you. Um, I don't have quite the right word for it in my head right now, but um, a signal uh, that uh, something has happened. So like I argued for we use the highest. Um, uh, or we either do it separate. Actually, I think it was something like we either do it separate or we use the lowest bonus for both. You know, so you, you choose the lowest, yeah. but you know it's one for both of us, kind of thing. Um, and uh, so there's a bit of a a, ba- a a modicum of balance there. Yeah, and we do intend to go back and revisit this campaign, and and when we do, I guess for the listeners who don't know, this is a completely homebrew campaign that I wrote from the ground up. Uh, that we stopped when COVID hit so we could pivot to something a little bit easier for me to prep and that we could play remotely, which is when we pivoted to Rime of the Frost Maidens, which Mm -hmm. we've since decided to finish, which we'll probably finish this fall um, before the new year for sure. And then uh, this group of players wants to go to level 20, so we're going to do another adventure added on, (laughs) and then we might go back to this one. Yeah, that'd be fun. Every every time I play a new game... I think about how I can put Captain Kickshaw in it. <laughs> I just love him so much. <laughs> I have so much planned for him that oh, it's yeah. actually insane. Like to the like Yeah. I don't mean to I, I, I probably shouldn't pull back the curtain, but I have three one shots written around his origin. Oh amazing. Well that was the whole thing, right? I wrote I wrote so much shit, but left it also so vague. And I was like, I need yeah. you to write most of my backstory. But like, here was the whole thing was like, I built a cavalry of no, of like mounted gnomes, right? That I was once the captain of, but with no memory. And here's the details and all the all the members of the cavalry. But like, the rest is you. And I don't know where I come from and why I was even captain of it. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, I had so much fun writing that stuff. And uh, yeah, I would love to explore that more. 
yeah, I'd really like to go back to that campaign because I have there's there's a lot of unresolved like we left it at a pretty aggressive cliffhanger. Like one of the party members retreated from a pretty aggressive combat with two fire giants. Yeah. Yeah. And oh. there was like I'm I'm going to have to write and probably record like a uh like a summary of this is what's happened so far. Right. This is where you guys were at last session because I have yeah. pretty detailed notes from that. Uh, but it's been almost two and a half years. Captain Kickshaw was just like he's just he's just so positive and wanted to like be everyone just have a you know the a, a same like you know let's do this as a team mindset. But I remember several things happening him him wavering and going I'm not sure I can adventure with these people anymore because of all these weird yeah. decisions being made that were you know behind the scenes and he was not privy to and oh it was like really intense for a bit. <laughs> I was like he is straight up questioning walking away himself. <laughs> Yeah, the last session yeah. was really, really intense. But uh, I have a, I have a really cool origin story written for him that I really, really like, and that I'd like to explore. But it's, it's very much a higher level thing. Oh yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, hippogriffs. <laughs> yeah, mounts. <laughs> mounts. Uh, so there will be plenty of solid resources linked in the show notes this this week. Um, I did a lot of outside research to try and back this up because. Uh, Hippogriffs are boring, yo. Um, yeah. <laughs> the the first the first quote I gave you is that their origins have been lost to time, even though we know that a griffin smashes a horse. Uh, <laughs> what happens? What happens when a what happens when a horse smashes a griffin? <laughs> what do we get? <laughs> uh, oh, um, uh, what what are those things called? A uh, oh, there's like this aquatic horse creature. Oh, the hippocampus. <laughs> hippocampus well that doesn't make any sense how does the fish get in there i don't know man i'm not a cryptozoologist I'm just an amateur cryptozoologist what about you creatures do you have any homebrew rules for mounts that you would like to share with us because we absolutely need them if you made it through that section of this episode <laughs> You can uh, hit us up on Twitter at EncounterPod or Facebook.com backslash EncounterPod. If you donate to us on any level on Patreon, you can uh, you have access to a private Discord, which is probably the best way to chastise us for how bad those rules are. We would happily jump into a voice chat anytime you ask to discuss them. And you can find all that stuff on Patreon.com backslash EncounterPod. $1 a month will get you access to our Discord and anything else. Uh, $5 a month will get you handwritten thank you letter access to the show notes as well as the Discord. And for $10 a month, you can suggest a creature. Maybe you want to hear more about the Griffin or the Hippocampus, um, which I still can't believe that that's actually the name of that creature, even though it's probably correct uh creatures are not limited to a dungeons and dragons specifically maybe i believe cobalt press in either the tome of beast the creature codex has a hippocampus so we could happily cover that for you or if your favorite role-playing system be at 13th age or pathfinder has a hippocampus or a griffin that you prefer to the 5v1 maybe it's more interesting maybe it's bigger maybe it's badder maybe you want us to learn about the rules of some other system we will i'd love to say make a valiant attempt but we will just make a regular attempt at learning those <laughs> and then presenting it to you in the way that we know how through the lens of dungeons the dragons fifth edition and Pathfinder 2nd Edition and Pathfinder 1st Edition. You can listen to us stumble through the first uh, creature we did from a different system way back in episode 
67 with the Jorogumo from 13th Age. <laughs> that was that was a fun episode. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. If you want to see some of these fun pictures, the Bretonian, the Arte by Gustavo Dore, or any of the photos of the Hippogriff through the editions, you can find all those on Instagram.com backslash encounter.pod. If you want to check out any of those past episodes that we've done, we have done a bunch of chimeras, even though literally everyone that we have covered is slipping my mind currently. <laughs> those are all available on encounterthis.ca ad free and will always be available and it's easily searchable but if you want to help us out without doing anything outside of the app that you are currently listening to this in especially if you are on itunes or spotify you can rate and review that really does help us with our placement in these those respective stores and help other people find us which is our lifeblood all we want is to help educate you in the worst way possible because we are certainly <laughs> not good at this but impart at the, the information <laughs> that's that's the word yeah <laughs> we want to inspire you to elevate your role playing to include some more lore from previous editions because 5e can be lacking or if you want to up your literary game orlando furioso is probably fantastic but i can vouch for the divine comedy <laughs> But uh, that that is it for this week's episode. Uh, Freeman is about to mount his hippogriff and fly on out of here. And you know why? Because I'm cool. Uh, I, I'm down. I'm hippogriff it. That's like hip hipping with it. Get get it. <laughs> oh, I got it. <laughs> why aren't you laughing? <laughs> Uh, I'm trying real hard not to. Uh, Extra special thanks to anybody who made it through that one. (laughs)